All right, let's get started with our last final uh, kind of sermon series. So I did this sermon, and I actually thought that I could say it in a 30-minute period of time. And here we're on the third Sunday trying to get through what I thought was going to take me 30 minutes to say. But this is the third and final one. And what we've been talking about is your purpose. Have you ever tried to write a purpose statement about your life? What am I all about? This is my purpose. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to do that. And it seems like every year it switches. So I'm like, why should I, why should I write up a purpose statement? Because it seems like I'm constantly switching around. Well, you know what? Before you were born, before I was born, God gave you a purpose. It's inside of you. And every so often, it just pops out and it manifests itself. And it might manifest itself in a really bad way, <laughs> but it's purpose. It's something that drives you. You can't help yourself but act out your purpose in life. And again, sometimes it, it comes in, in a bad way. So, but what we've been doing is we've been looking at Moses. Do you guys remember Moses from the Bible? The guy that parted the Red Sea, all right? We see from his life, and I'm not going to re, you know, rehearse everything we talked about the last couple of weeks, but he had four purposes. One of them is he was a deliverer. You know what a deliverer is? It's somebody who will smack somebody over the head in order to free somebody from being bullied or from being uh, pushed around. And you know what? Moses' purpose popped out kind of ugly. He killed an Egyptian who was beating a, a fellow Hebrew, all right? But his, he had that purpose inside of him. It came out at the, kind of in a bad way. He killed somebody, but his purpose manifested itself. And then we see that Moses uh, also uh, was a judge, he was like an intermediary between people. He did this all the time. He couldn't help himself. It just happened. And if you look at your life, you'll see, I have purpose. Every so often, it comes up and it shows itself. He was a rescuer, and he was also what we would call a shepherd leader. He wasn't a bad leader. He was a good leader. He was a, a leader that cared about his, the, the people that were following him. But then we see, you know, that Moses' purpose was frustrating to him. He lived almost 80 years. How many of you are 80 years or older? Not many of us. There's some, but not many of us, all right? His purpose was frustrated for 80 years until one day he's walking around the, the desert with his sheep, and he sees the sight of this burning bush that isn't burning up. And so he goes over, as, as I would. I'm bored in the desert. I've been out there for 40 years. And I go over, and I look at this bush that's not burning up, and all of a sudden, God starts speaking to him through the burning bush. Have you ever had a weird experience before? I'm sure all of us have had a strange that we don't tell many people about because if we did, they thought we were crazy. All right? We've all had weird experiences, I guarantee. And if you haven't, you will soon. All right? Moses had a weird experience, and God spoke to him through this burning bush. And in that burning bush experience, God called Moses. So Moses had purpose inside of him, but then God reached in and called that purpose out of Moses and said, Moses, now we're going to use your purpose. And through that call, he gave him a, a, a roadmap of how to go about doing what his purpose was inside of him. I don't know about you, but I can only see as far as my nose a lot of times. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I'm, I wish I could plan out my 10 years, but I have never been able to plan anything in my life. I plan it, and it always goes off the rails. <laughs> but here's what I've found. God has the plan. God knows the plan. 
and he's calling me, and when I get his call, he's going to lay out a roadmap as to how I'm going to get to where I'm going. So we need the call of God. Now you say, Steve, I've never been called of God. Well, that's most of us, right? We haven't had that experience of God calling us. So how do you get the call of God? Well, let me remind you what Moses did. He was walking up to the bush, and God speaks to him and says, God tells him this, Moses, don't come any closer. <laughs> now, we want to say, God's always saying, come close to me, come close to me. In this case, God said, don't get any closer until you've taken off your sandals. And we learned last Sunday, man, what, what is it to take off your sandals? Take off everything that you trust in. Take off your credentials. Take off your degree Take off your money, if you have it or don't have it. <laughs> Take off everything that you rely on and come to God as you are. And when we do that, we say, I'm taking off everything that I have confidence in. You know what? I'm taking it off. God's going to call you when you do that. You don't have to wait 80 years for God's call. Stop trusting in the things that you trust in. You'll come into God's holy presence, and he will call purpose out of you, and you'll start living your life totally different. The other thing we learned last week is in order to get God's call, man, I tell you what, you need to, uh, you need to seek God with all your heart. On a scale of 1 to 10, answer this in your own heart. Don't tell us about it. All right, this is between you and God. How hard are you seeking God? Are you seeking him maybe on a 3 is it a five? Is it an eight? How hard are you seeking God? And if you're a three, then go for four. <laughs> if you're an eight, go for nine. But seek God with all your heart, and you will get a call from God on your life that will totally transform you. It's an event. It's a point in time. It's a memory you'll never forget. All right? And so Moses goes on and he asks, he starts having a conversation with God. He's taken his sandals off. He's gotten a little closer. And God says, go, Moses. I'm sending you back to those two million Israelites or Jews that are in Israel, excuse me, in Egypt. And I want you to rescue them. I want you to deliver them. And so Moses says, he says, if I tell them that you sent me, who do I tell them you are? And, and God goes on and says, tell them I am. And Moses is scratching his head thinking, how is that, that going to help me at all? You know what, that, that message was more for Moses than anybody else because God was telling Moses, I am everything to you, Moses. I'm your provision. I'm your healer. I'm your deliverer. I'm your peace. I'm everything, Moses, to you. And if you'll get to know me, Moses, you'll be able to tell them who I am. Does that make sense? You need to know God before you can go off and tell who God is to someone else. Learn God for yourself. At best, we're lucky we have 80, 90 years, maybe less, maybe a lot less on this earth. When are you going to start seeking God and trying to find out who he is for you? When are you going to do it? Start today, all right? So we go on with this conversation and God, I'm not going to read it all, to, all of it to you. I think we're in Exodus 3 here. God, through his call, tells Moses every detail that he needs to know about his calling. So if you're confused today, I've told this story before. I remember waking up in the middle of the night so confused. Years of confusion had gotten worse and worse in my life. I got up one morning at 3 o'clock in the morning and went for a walk. And I'd never forget 
telling God this. I said, God, I am so confused. I can't make sense of my life. I can't make sense. And I'm a Christian. I'm, I love God. I'm going to church. I'm doing all that stuff. But I am confused. Have you ever been confused before? <laughs> you might be confused right now. No clarity in your life. Let me tell you what. The call of God will make everything clear for you. Amen. Does that make sense? So... God outlines, and I won't read it all to you, in verses 16 through about 22 of chapter 3. God outlines everything for Moses as to what he's supposed to do. Finally gives him a plan for his purpose, a roadmap, and he no longer has to be frustrated, all right? So Moses, in chapter 4, I'm sorry, my allergies are kicking up right now like you wouldn't believe. Um, Exodus 4 Uh, verse 1, Moses answers God. And here's where we're going to start from last week. He says, what do I do, though, God, if they don't believe me or listen to me? Because God was saying, go to two million people and tell them that I'm going to rescue them. So Moses is saying, what if they don't believe me? And I'll tell you what, when God tells you to do something, I guarantee you one of your first questions is going to say, what if they don't believe me? So picture this. I'm walking down the mall. Have you ever been to Sunland Mall recently? Anybody? The place is a ghost town, all right? Half the upstairs is empty stores. It's a perfect place at lunch. If you ever want to go walking and, like, praying, nobody's up there. (laughs) So here I'm up, my lunch break. I didn't get to pray in the morning, so I kind of get up uh, and and rush to work, go to lunch, and I go to Sunland Park Mall. I go there every so often. And I'm just praying and walking, and there's I keep noticing this cleaning lady, all right? And she's uh, mopping the floor. And it's one of those terrifying moments when God tells me, go tell her that I love her. I'm like, oh, my palms start sweating. I start getting nervous, you know. But you know what? When God tells you to do something, you got to do it. And so the first question in my mind is, what if she doesn't believe me? Now, isn't, can you identify with that? When God tells you to do something for someone else, you're always worried. What if they don't believe me? You know what you do when God tells you to do something? You just go do it and leave it up to God. You just go do it and leave it up. So I, I woke, this was just a week or two ago. I walk up to her, take a deep breath, starting to hyperventilate, get up to her and I say, you know what? I just want to tell you something. Look her straight in the eyes and say, God loves you. And I just felt inclined to tell you. She almost started crying. She said, I know that he does, but thank you for telling me that. Isn't that something? So when God tells you to do something, don't worry about all the details. Just go do it. But, but Moses asks her, uh, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you? The Lord said to him, and this is where we're going to hear, you're going to like this today. He says, what's in your hand? <laughs> You've seen the Capital One, you know, what's in your wallet? All right, some of us might say not much, <laughs> but... But he says, what's in your hand? And I want to tell you something today. God's asking you right now, what's in your hand? You have something. You have something that God wants to use, big or small, mighty or weak. He has given you something in your hand, and he wants to use what's in your hand. So Moses looks at his hand. He says, I have a staff in my hand. The Lord says, throw it on the ground. So the Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses says, all right, pitches it on the ground. What happens? Another weird experience. He throws it on the ground. It becomes a snake, 
and Moses runs away from it. And I just have a funny picture in my mind of Moses, high, high knee, <laughs> he's getting at her. I got to tell you this funny story. My brother-in-law, who's 6'5", big old 200 and some odd pound guy, we go out to the desert to go shooting, all right? And one of our friends, this was a long time ago, had a rubber snake. And so he planted the rubber snake out in the desert, huge rattlesnake-looking thing. And we had our truck pointing one direction as night, and with the lights pointing that direction. And I was, for some reason, I was staying away from the truck. And so my friend gets a flashlight, and he starts moving the flashlight and makes it look like the snake's wiggling. And so he takes my brother-in-law over there, and my brother-in-law, like any of us, is terrified of snakes. And so the friend goes down to get really close. He picks the snake up by the tail and starts swinging it over his head. And I see my brother-in-law running in front of the truck, literally his legs like this. He swings and throws the snake. It gets around his legs. And my poor brother-in-law was just screaming. But every time I read the story about Moses, I think of my brother-in-law, and I think that's probably how Moses ran, was just high-stepping, running as fast as he possibly could. So um, the Lord says to him, though, he says, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. (laughs) Can you imagine a live snake? There's nothing that scares me more than snakes. He reaches out with his hand. He grabs it. And it turns back into a staff in his hand. This is a true story. If you're agnostic, atheist, whatever, this is the truth. This really happened. The Bible is the inspired word of God. It's, it's historically proven in many, many cases and continues to grow so in, in, by every archaeological dig that takes place. And so he, uh, or that it's associated with the Bible. And so he picks up the snake, turns back into staff. He says this. This is that they might believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. So I want to ask you, (laughs) somebody comes up to you and tells you about Jesus. They have a stick in their hand, and you say, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. So they throw the stick on on the ground, and it becomes a snake. Would you at least have a little you know, some kind of momentum to say, you know what, maybe God is true. Maybe God is real. I mean, God gave Moses this gift. Moses had purpose in his life. God gave him a call. And then God gave him a gift to accompany his call. And God has the same thing for each and every one of us. He gave you a purpose from birth. He's going to give you a call if you haven't received it already. And then he's going to give you not one gift, but multiple gifts to accompany your call. Believe it or not, if you and I, if we'll seek God with all of our heart, he will give you a call and he'll give you gifts to accompany your call. And so I want to ask you, Moses up until that point in time, he had not had no call He had his staff in his hand. He didn't realize what a powerful tool he had in his hand. And I guarantee you today, you don't know what you have in your hand, the power that God has placed in your hand. Unbelievable giftedness that's in a little seed form that when watered with a call of God will come to life just as that that staff came alive for Moses. All right? This staff... He was holding, remember his four purposes? Let's go backwards. He was a shepherd leader. He had carried this staff for almost 40 years in the desert, 
for his sheep. And when a sheep kind of gets out of line, it's a long, it's pretty long. It's probably taller than, than any of us are tall. You'd reach that staff out and kind of tap the sheep on the side. Hey, get back in line. He wouldn't hit him. He'd just tap him. All right. And if anything came out to harm the sheep, he'd smack it over the head with his staff. He was so used to the staff, he had it almost probably glued to his hand. He slept with his staff. He walked with his staff. He used his staff. It's possible. Now, I'm going now, I'm surmising here that the Bible doesn't say this, but it's very possible when he walked up to that well and those shepherdesses, remember those shepherdesses that were kind of trying to water their sheep? It's very possible at that time. Moses had that same staff in his hand, and he came at those shepherds that were trying to push the shepherdesses away, and he waved that staff in their face like, I'm going to clock you over the head if you don't let these ladies water their sheep. It's possible that he rescued them with his staff. I'll go a step further, all right? He was a judge. Remember one of his purposes. You'd have to, by the way, this stuff is on SoundCloud. You can hear the last two Sundays and know exactly what I'm talking about. But one of his other purposes was a judge, a mediator. And when he walked up to those two Hebrews that were arguing, it says in Genesis, let's see, Genesis 4.10, I'll read it to you. It says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff between his feet. And that conjures up quite a picture of a ruler, of a judge standing here with the tip of his staff between his feet holding it like this. A judge, a ruler. And I don't doubt that Moses came up to those two Hebrews that were fighting and stood as an Egyptian ruler and said, what are you guys fighting about? And they said, who made you judge over us? Possibly he had that staff in his hand at that point in time. I wouldn't doubt that when that Egyptian was beating that Hebrew, that Moses brought his staff along and possibly knocked that Egyptian in his head with a staff, and that may have been what killed that Egyptian. The fact of the matter is, Moses was used to carrying that thing in his hand. And you have giftedness. You have something in your hand that you may not even be paying any attention to that God wants to use. He wants to bring to life from the call that God has on your, on your life. God wants to use what you have in your hand. Let me tell you what, it's interesting that this staff stayed with Moses the rest of his life and listened to some of the things that he did with his gifted staff. It went from just simply shepherding sheep to actually having amazing <laughs> powers. He gets, into the, he gets into the Pharaoh's court, sure enough, he and his brother Aaron, and I'm jumping ahead in the story. And sure enough, the Pharaoh's like, who are you to tell me to let your people go? These two million people, I'm not going to let them go. So what does Moses do? He throws down his staff, and that thing, sure enough, becomes a snake right there in front of Pharaoh. But you know what? Pharaoh is unfazed. He brings out his other sorcerers. They throw down their staffs, and their staffs become snakes as well. But you know what Moses' snake does? It swallows up, I'm just quoting from the Bible here, it swallows up the other snakes, he reaches down, grabs hold, it turns back into a staff, and those guys don't have their magical staffs. The staff of God, all right? That's one story. Another story is during the plagues of Egypt, 
Moses uses his staff many times, but one of those times, he comes to the river Nile, as God had told him to do. He reaches his staff down, he touches the water, and it becomes blood. That was one of the, one of the plagues of Egypt, all right? Whatever you have in your hand, God wants to gift to do something powerful and mighty for the kingdom of heaven. See, God's not joking around. His kingdom is a kingdom of power. His kingdom is a kingdom of authority. We're not here to play church, all right? God wants to show his power in this day and age, maybe not by staffs turning into snakes, but certainly healing the sick. If you're sick, God wants to heal you by his power. If you don't have enough money, God wants to supply powerfully for your needs by supplying however he wants to do it. God has mighty power. In fact, the Bible says that his power is available for all who believe. Are you a believer? If you're a believer, you have the power of God at your disposal. Power to do what? Power to turn the TV off when you shouldn't be watching something that you're watching. Power to say, you know what? My friends are offering me a a beer. I'm not going to drink it. I'm not going to go by the impulses of the flesh. I have the power of God on my side. You and me, we need the power of God to do those types of things. Maybe power between spouses that are arguing to hold my tongue and say, I'm not going to argue anymore. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. We need power in this day and age. All right? So it means something to us. But he went on to, to use his staff. He stretched it over the Red Sea, and the waters parted. That staff, that same staff, he raised in the, the, uh, the war with the Amalekites. So there was Moses raising his staff, Joshua down there fighting the battle. As long as the staff was raised, the Israelites won. Ultimately, they won the victory. But he also struck a rock in the desert and water came out of it. Now, he was disobedient when he did that, but all the same as staff, his gift, all right? So I'm curious to know, what do you have in your hands? <laughs> let's, see, let's see how a couple of little things turned into a lot with people that had a little something in their hands. If you look at John 6, 1 through 15, you don't have to turn to it. This is in your reading from this week. So, so you have the scriptures there, but I'll tell you the stories just real quick. Here, Jesus and his disciples have over 5,000 people, 5,000 people out there, not counting men and women, or excuse me, women and children. They don't have any food, and a little boy with five barley loaves and two fish, he offers it to Jesus, and he says, we have this. And the story goes on, the true story goes on, that the disciples had everybody break into 50s and 100s. They broke the loaves, and that food was multiplied with 12 baskets left over. You know what? Jesus took what they had in their hand and multiplied it. He took what he had, and he multiplied it. There's another example of a uh, a lady in 2 Kings 4 who had... Two children, her husband died, and the creditors were coming to take over everything that she had and enslave her two sons. And so the lady went to, I think it was the prophet Elisha, and you know what he, what he asked? He said, what do you have? 
How many times do we ask ourselves, or don't ask ourselves, we tell ourselves, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have the other, I don't. And God's saying, stop asking what you don't have, and I want to know what you do have. Even if it's a little something, what do you have? You know, I could look at this church and say, we don't have musicians, except for my dad. (laughs) We don't have a band. We don't have this. We don't have a cool church. We don't have uh, a bunch of leaders to do this. You know what? God's asking me, what do you have? And we have all that we need to do everything that God wants us to do. So stop looking at what you don't have and start looking at what you do have. Because most often it's powerful what you have, even if it's just a little something, something. So anyways, the prophet Elisha says, what do you have? And she says, well, I have a small jar of olive oil. All right. Again, a true story of power, the authority of God. The prophet says, I want you to go send your boys out to the neighborhood, collect every jar that you have, and I want you to pour into those jars, a little bit of olive oil that you have. The story goes that those, this lady sent out her boys. As she poured, man, that olive oil just kept, kept coming out, kept coming out, kept coming out until she filled so many jars. Her house was full of them, and she, she said, go get me some more. And the boys said, we've asked, we've asked everybody. There's, there's no more jars left. She took those jars. She sold the oil. It was enough to pay off the creditors and take care of her and then some, all right? Now, you might say, well, that's just a great story. That's inspiring. But you know what? Christina, who's, I don't know where she's at. Maybe she took off already. Oh, she's not there. She had a story just like that this Wednesday night. (laughs) Just like that story this Wednesday night. You say, whatever. You know what? If you don't believe, it's not going to happen for you. (laughs) But if you'll stop being a skeptic and and shooing God off and saying, I don't believe that stuff. You're going to live your life in misery the rest of your life. If you will become a believer in Jesus Christ, you will see these types of miracles happen in your life. You'll you'll see them daily in your life. But let me give you another example. There was was another widow, and this is in 1 Kings 17. There's another widow, and she has this man walk up to her as she's picking up sticks, and she was picking up sticks. What she was going to do is she was going to, it was during, there's a famine in the land. She was going to make a meal for her and her son, and that was her last meal. She had just a little bit of oil in her jar and a little bit of flour, and she was going to make her last meal, and she was going to die. She was hopeless. Have you ever been hopeless before? No hope in my life. Tomorrow's the end, or next month is the end. My income's drying up. I don't have anything to hope for. That's, that was her mentality. And as she... There we go. Um, as she was picking up sticks, this strange, odd-looking man walks up to her, his prophet Elisha, or Elijah, and he tells her, hey, can you go get me, uh, make me a little raisin something, rather, I don't know, a little, a little loaf of something. She says, I'm, I'm trying to cook my last meal. We're, we're out of... We're out of everything. He says, that's fine. And then he began to prophesy, meaning the word of God came through him. And he said, you go make me that little loaf of bread because God is saying your, your, uh, your flour isn't going isn't to go run dry and your oil isn't going to run dry. You will have enough. So sure enough, she went, she did that. She used what was in her hands and the flour never gave up during that. I can't think of the word. It didn't 
give out. The oil didn't give out, and God supplied for that widow and her son throughout the rest of the famine. God does miracles. God does miracles, and you need to start expecting your miracle today. Do you hear that? There's some of you that are a little bit of spark of faith is starting to come up in you. And you're starting, you know what? You're believing the truth. I challenge the skeptics in this room. Stop being skeptical of the almighty God. He cares about you. He loves you. He wants to use what's in your hand. But the last one that I'll share with you is really cool because it was nothing physical, but it was rather just a matter of faith that this guy had in Mark 10. This guy named Bartimaeus. How would you like it if your name was Bartimaeus? <laughs> All right, this Bartimaeus guy, he was blind and he was sitting there and Jesus was walking by. It was in the time of Jesus and he heard a crowd coming. He must have questioned somebody. Hey, what's going on? Because I can't see. He, they said, Jesus is walking by. And you know what Bartimaeus began to do? He began to call out really loud and I won't yell into the mic, but he started yelling, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Well, you know what the crowd did? They said, shh, be quiet, be quiet making a, too much of a sound, all right? And he just he's kept calling out louder, and finally, he got somebody's attention. They escorted him to Jesus, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Jesus, I want to see. <laughs> and Jesus said, you know what? Because of your faith, you're healed. You may say, I have nothing in my life, but I do have a little bit of faith. I have a little bit of faith, and Jesus is saying, that's what you have in your hand, Use what you have. Use what you have because my calling is going to take your gifting and bring it to life. So stop telling yourself what you don't have and start acknowledging what you do have. And God's going to turn it into something spectacular. I, I look at my life and uh, I think of the things I don't have. Let me tell you some of the things I don't I don't have, aside from hair, I don't have... I don't have a high energy level, and I've kicked myself my whole life. I have to sleep eight, sometimes nine hours a night. I'm just that way. I look at these high energy people that sleep two or three hours, four hours a night, and wish, man, I wish I was like, I would get so much done. But instead, I look at myself, I'm never going to mount the hill of beans. I don't have high energy level. I, I can't do it. You know what God's saying? Don't look at that. Look at what I've given you. Focus on what you have, all right? And I could go down the list of thing after thing after thing that I don't have, but you know what? There's a handful of things I do have. And you need to start doing the same thing. God's asking you, what's in your hand? Some of you have hurts and failures in your hand, and you keep looking at them and saying, I failed, I failed, I failed. You know what? God wants to use your failures. He wants to bring your failures to life and say, I'm going to use your failures. Because you can teach other people how not to make the same mistakes that you made. Amen? So look at what you're in. Take inventory of what God has given you and offer it to God Almighty. He's going to call you and bring your giftings to life. But let's end with this just real quick in Exodus 4 verse 10. Look at Moses after he's thrown his staff on the ground and has become a snake. <laughs> look at what Moses says. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. So here, Moses is doing exactly what I said not to do. He starts looking at what he's lacking. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow in speech and tongue. What do you call it when God tells you to do something 
and you say, I can't because. What do you call that? Excuse. How many of you guys have excuses? I have excuses. Stop excusing yourself, all right? Just go do what God told you to do or stop doing what God told you to stop doing. Stop using excuses. They stink. God says to him, who gave human beings their mouth? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what you must say. But Moses says, pardon your servant. (laughs) He keeps saying pardon. Anytime somebody says, I'm sorry, say, shut up. Stop saying, I'm sorry. Let's move forward, all right? Stop doing that. He says, pardon your servant. Please send someone else. That's what Moses says. Don't send me. Send somebody else. That had to make the Lord somewhat irritated because here it says the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. How did God know that he could speak well? He made Aaron. He knew he could speak well. He said, he's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You will speak to him Put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and teach you what, you what you are to say. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But now, take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Let me tell you what, the last thing I'd like to say, God's put purpose in our lives. He's called us. He's given us gifts, but you will always have weakness in your life. You will always, always be weak in some form or fashion. Why, Steve? I don't want to be weak. You know what? We spend our whole lives fighting our weakness. Isn't that silly? (laughs) You're never going to overcome your weakness. You can't. God can overcome your weakness, but you can't do it. We spend all our lives trying to get strong at what we'll never be strong at. All right? Do, Do what God has called you, and he'll shore up your weakness. All right? There's a... A management saying, you know what? Just manage your weakness. (laughs) Just manage it because you're never going to get it right. We'll always be weak in some form or fashion. I've told you about my eight hours of sleep. I'm not high energy. I get distracted incredibly easy. I mean, I'm like, my mind starts wandering over here. I can't stay focused to save my life. I'm just one of those kind of people, all right? And so that's a weakness that I have. Another one is I get overwhelmed real easy. Do you get, I don't know, some people don't seem to get overwhelmed. I get overwhelmed in two seconds. So I always got to take that elephant, break it down into small pieces, because as soon as I look at the elephant, I just fall apart. You know, I get discouraged. That's a weakness that I have. But you know what I found in my weaknesses? God makes up the difference. God makes up the difference. So instead of pushing your weakness away or trying to get strong at it, say, God, you make up the difference. You help me. In my weakness, you be strong. All right? You will always have weakness no matter what you do. He'll give you purpose, callings, and giftings, but you will always have some level of weakness in your, in your life. I'll end with these two scriptures here. Mark 8, 34. Um, Jesus talking to the crowd, his disciples. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And I've been confused like what does it mean to take up your cross what how does that look what what is a cross I don't even you know cross meant something to people back then but not so much to people these days and I've come to realize that picking up your cross is embracing your weakness you just embrace it you love it (laughs) it means something to you my weakness is my weakness now I'm not talking about a weakness of 
fallen into illicit relationships. I'm not talking about a weakness of taking drugs. I'm not talking about a weakness of gambling your life savings away. That's not the weakness I'm talking about. I'm just talking about basic human weaknesses where you compare yourself to somebody else and they're better than you are. That's the type of weakness that I'm talking about. All right, God wants to help you. Don't compare yourself to people, by the way. God made you just the way that you are. And I'll tell you what, love yourself, all right? Just love yourself the way that you are. You know why? Because God loves you the way that you are. He loves you the way that you are. And he's going to make up all the difference in your weakness. Um, I bought my wife. Um, I went shopping uh, when, when we were about to get married. I wanted to buy her a pretty engagement ring, beautiful engagement ring. So I kept trying to find diamonds that didn't have a flaw in them. And I'd look, and sure enough, every time you look at the stupid thing, there's another little flaw in it, you know? And like, I want to find a diamond without a flaw. And finally, one time, a jeweler said, but it's kind of cool if it has a flaw because that's just, you know, there's no other diamond like it. And so I was like, well, that's kind of true, actually. You know what? This is unique, right? And so finally, I find a diamond that's really pretty to the naked eye. You look at it, it has a massive flaw in it, but you know what? That's okay. And to this day, you know, my wife loves that diamond. You know what? Accept your weaknesses. Accept your uniqueness. Because God wants to use you. Even when you're tired. Even when you failed. I failed this week, by the way. Big time. I failed in a bad way. And you know what? I just came back to the grace of God and I said, God, you love me just like I am. You love me just like I am. You receive me just like I am. And that's how our God is. So listen to this last scripture. I promise I'm done. Here's 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. See, the Apostle Paul had a major weakness. I don't know what it was. He didn't tell us. But he says, when he asked God, take away my weakness, take away this thorn in the flesh, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Pick up your cross. Say, I am who I am. I'm unique. I'm, I'm a mess. <laughs> but God loves me the way that I am. I'm cool with that. God's power is going to flow through my weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me who is weak. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Then I am strong. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God. Hallelujah. Lord God, you've called us with purpose. Every human being on the face of this earth, whether, whether they're a believer in Jesus or not, has purpose born in them. Purpose born in them. Lord, and that purpose rears its head every so often in this situation or that situation, proving that Almighty God has put eternity in the heart of mankind. There's not a man out there, there's not a woman out there that doesn't have eternity in their souls. <laughs> This is more than philosophy. This is more than science. This is more than proof. Lord, there's something supernatural. There's something spiritual that no man can deny, no woman can deny. And it's you, Jesus. It's you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Someday every man will have to will confess with his mouth, will, will kneel down and say, Jesus is Lord. 
It will happen. Lord, the question is, could it happen today willingly, voluntarily? We kneel down and we say, Jesus, you are Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, but you've put purpose in us. Lord, you're yearning to call us and to fulfill that purpose. You're desirous, Lord, to, to give us gifts, Lord, to accompany that purpose, Lord. Maybe that gift is an experience that we've had that we, can, that we can learn from and apply and teach to others. Who knows? Lord, certainly the Bible speaks of spiritual gifts, Lord, that were there to help the church uh, encourage itself, Lord God. We've been given gifts. We've been given talents, Lord. But we will always walk in some level of weakness in our life. Always. Always. Every one of us. Lord, help us to stop fighting that and embrace it. Embrace it because we know that the power of God is made real. Thank you, Jesus.